What comes to mind when you think about God? If I say think or picture God, what comes to mind? The author of the book that I recommended in the back, The Knowledge of the Holy, how he starts out that book is by saying, what comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Say it again. What comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. So what is it that when I say God, what comes to mind? What do you think about? You might think of a bunch of different things. Maybe a lot of thoughts are coming into your mind. Maybe you think of God as creator. Oh, created everything. He's the one in charge. Maybe that's what you think of, being in charge. Maybe you think of the power of God. Oh, if he created everything, he's powerful. Maybe you think of the holiness of God, that he's um, without flaw. Holy, holy, holy is used in Isaiah chapter 6 to describe God. Maybe you think of the immensity of God, how great he is, how uh, large he is. Maybe you think power, we talked about omnipotence is a word that used to describe God. Maybe you think of his omniscience, that God knows everything. Maybe you think of his omnipresence, and it's like maybe all these different thoughts, were any of those some things that came into mind for you guys when you thought about God? These big things, and it's a distant and a powerful God. Maybe that's what comes to mind. Those are some good things to think about, but when we think about the majesty and the power and the transcendence of God, oftentimes we can think of him as distant. We can think of him as, as far away because he is this powerful, omniscient, omnipotent God that I'm not anything of those things. He, he can seem distant in our minds. He can think of him as far away. And even in that thinking, we can think of him as because he's so much greater than us that he doesn't really care about us. He's, he's so far off that he, he really doesn't matter and, and he's kind of apathetic towards humanity doesn't care too much about my life, isn't too concerned with what's going on down here. Well, I think it's rightful for us to have such a high view of God that we think of him as, man, super powerful and far off. We shouldn't lose and have that disconnect between seeing that he cares about us as well. Yes, he is powerful. Yes, he is the creator. Yes, he's holy. And we're not perfectly holy and we're not the creator of, quite frankly, anything. But yet he still cares about us. I don't want us to have such a high view of God, well, it sounds kind of crazy to say, that we miss out how much he cares for us individually. It's good for us to think of him as powerful, creator, um, holy, but we shouldn't miss out that he also cares for us. I mean, our society today will say not only is God distant and far off, but that he's evil, that he's uncaring, that you look at the Old Testament and he's actually a very angry God. He's a very hateful God. And if in our mind we think of God as this far off being and that who doesn't care about us, is apathetic towards us, that can cause us to be a little jaded toward God. It can cause us to be, oh man, I don't, I, don't, I don't like this God. And if you thought someone didn't care about you, you probably wouldn't care about that thing as well. And so I want us to reorient and think maybe differently about God, how we have maybe in the past. Yes, it's good to think those lofty and high attributes of God, but I think even in James chapter one, it gives an adjustment for how we should view God. In James chapter one, verse 16 or 18, let's have that adjustment for how we can view God, not as distant and uncaring, but rather a different attribute it emphasizes in these verses of how we should think about God. James one, verse 16, it says this, 
says, do not be deceived, my brothers. Stop right there. If he's saying, do not be deceived, you say that to someone who is what? Deceived. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> do not be deceived. Someone who's deceived. My brothers, what are they deceived about? Let's look right above it. We just talked about this. Verses 13 through 15. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. So these, these believers who are going through tough times, and those tough times, maybe they're feeling this temptation to sin. And they're saying, hey, God is the one who's tempting me to sin. And wow, God's mean for putting me in this hard situation because I feel this temptation to sin. What James is saying, hey, don't be deceived. Don't think God is tempting you to do evil. Don't be tricked by that. Don't think that. Rather think this, verse 17, back in our passage. Don't be deceived. Don't think God's evil. He's distant, uncaring, wants to get you to sin. Rather, verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Saying, hey, every good thing that you have is a gift from him. It says it twice, every good gift and every perfect gift, that emphasis right there. Every good thing that we have, that's from God. And the idea of coming down from the Father of lights is this idea of continuously coming down from him, that God constantly and continuously over and over again is giving us good things. I think of like, maybe like a rainstorm that just like keeps going on and on and on. It's coming down, down, down. It's like God's good things to us over and over and over and over gives us these good things. So rather than viewing him as someone who's evil and trying to cause us to sin and tempt us to sin, no, rather, rather he's the giver of good gifts. goes on. With whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Verse 18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. So of his own will, God purposed, he decided to bring us forth. This idea of giving birth to us and not just talking literally, although he is the one who created us, but giving birth to us spiritually. So he decided to make us alive, give us birth spiritually by the word of truth. That's the gospel message that through what Christ did on the cross, we can be reborn. I mean, Nicodemus comes before Jesus and says, hey, what must I do to be saved? Jesus says to him, you must be born again, this second birth, this spiritual birth. So verse 18 is saying, God decided sometime in history past to bring, give us birth, to make us alive through what? The word of truth, through what his son did on the cross for us. Why did he do that? It says that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures, First fruits, what is that? First fruits. It's the idea back in the Old Testament where um, the Israelites would take some of the crops that they had produced and they would take the best and the first of those fruits or those crops and they would set it aside for God. So he's saying, hey, you believers that have been born again, this spiritual birth, you are now a first fruits of God's creatures, which is the idea of first fruits set apart, this special part of the fruits. You are specially set apart for God. Someone who is a Christian, special, set apart for God. So as we look at this passage, it's combating the idea that God is uncaring and unloving. Rather, we need to appreciate God's goodness toward us. He is good to us. That's one of the attributes that I want you to walk away and think about when you think about God. Yes, think that he is powerful, that he is far beyond our comprehension. He's powerful, but he's also good. He cares about us. And 
I know good isn't necessarily like the most fantastic quality that we use to describe something. Um, oftentimes we'll say like, there's like, okay. It's like, oh, that meal was okay. Or like, oh, the meal was good. But it's like, oh, if the meal was like, like, it was amazing. You use the word amazing. You don't say, oh, that meal was good or very good or excellent. You've got like all these gradations and scales. We need to see that in biblical terminology, good is our version of like amazing. Good is our version of excellent. When it says, when we say that God is good, it's like he is the standard. He, he is fantastic. Not just like, oh yeah, the meal was good. Like it was okay. Yeah. So God is good. I mean, he's okay. It's like, no, God, in our terminology, is great. You even see that word sometimes used in Scripture. That doesn't mean that when they say God is good, it's lesser than great. No. Great is a, and good is a high standard. We need to appreciate God's goodness toward us. When you are tempted to think that God doesn't care about you, that God is uncaring, the three points that we're going to give today are three things that I want us to think about and us to ponder when we're tempted to think that God doesn't care about us. We think God is too far off. He's too distant. I'm in a tough situation right now. Clearly, he doesn't care about me. Three things that I think we can pull from this passage to remind ourselves when we're tempted to think that God doesn't care. The first thing in verse 16 and 17. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Point number one, when you're tempted to think that God doesn't care, recount God's good gifts to you recount God's good gifts to you. You can write that down for point number one. We can put that up on the screen too. Recount God's good gifts to you. He's given us so many good things. We should think more often of all the good things that he's given to us. It's interesting how quick we are to focus on like the bad things in our lives. Say we're feeling sick. Like, that sucks. I don't, like, no one likes feeling sick. It's awful. Or you have a loss of a pet or a loss of a close loved one, and that's not good either. Or you have a major injury, and you've got these hard situations that come in our life, and oftentimes we look up at God and we say, why, God? Why me? You do bad on a test. Oh, now my grades are, God, why? We ask him why, and we even in asking that question of why, oftentimes it's with the assumption of like, man, God, you're causing this bad thing to happen to me. You're the one who's putting this hard thing and this bad thing, and man, you're not very good. You're not very kind. And that's what happens when we're in the difficult times of life, but how quick are we when there's good things that happen in life that we look up in God and say, why me? Why? We don't think about that. We think, oh man, yeah, I mean, I do deserve it. Think about it. If you're healthy, do you look up to God and say, God, why, why are you giving me good health right now? This is crazy. It's like, no, like I, I should be healthy. That's how things are supposed to be. We don't think of that as a good gift from God. I mean, the birth of a child. I mean, if you're a parent, you probably don't take that as much for granted just because of the like, infertility that's common nowadays or um, even miscarriages that happen. But I mean, us as like, younger people, it's like maybe we take the birth of someone for, for granted or passing a big test or getting a new pay. Like, God, why did why, you allow me to get that good grade? Why did you do that? That's crazy. Like, we don't really say that. <laughs> but we say, why me when we get sick? Why me, God? It's like, we're quick to credit him 
and assign him responsibility with the difficulties of life, but how quick are we to credit him and give him the praise when good things happen in our lives? Not very often. We credit ourselves. Yeah, I studied for the test. I bought this. I got this. Rather than crediting God. I mean, it's a God's good gifts to us. Well, Nathan, other people have like better things in their lives. Their lives are better. You know, one thing that is such a thief of joy and gratitude is when we're jealous of other people. Jealous of what that person has. Or I covet. Man, that person's got a bigger house than I do. That person's got better grades than me when we covet or when we even just complain about the circumstances of our own lives. Oh man, that's what we're eating for, for dinner tonight. It just robs us of our, our joy, robs us of our gratitude. It tempts us to think that God is not good when we complain about the circumstances of our life. I mean, such a perpetual example of complaining in scripture, you probably think of it in the Old Testament, who complained all the time was the nation of Israel. Over and over, complaining against God, whining against him. Numbers 11, after God sets them free from bondage and slavery, think about that, you're enslaved. And God miraculously sending these 10 plagues against the Egyptians, said, okay, fine, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let them go. Then he lets them go and they're, they're running away and then they make it to the, the sea. And what does God do? parts it in half. Think about that. Sending these miraculous plagues, splitting a sea in half to let them free. But guess what? They start complaining because, oh, our food isn't very good. I wish we had better food, God. Come on, God, can we get some in and out burgers? I'm getting tired of this manna stuff. Numbers 11 verses four to six says, now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. It's like, God, I'm done with this vegetarian diet. Like, or like, this vegan, like, I don't want it. Like, give, give us some meat, God. Verse five, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt. Ooh, that pokey, that fish, that salmon, yum, in Egypt. It cost us nothing. They gave it to us for free. That was pretty good. Oh, the cucumbers. <laughs> really, Israel? The melons. The leeks, the onions, like, wait, what, 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 the onions? Like, and the garlic, like, <laughs> yeah, that's what I would say I really want to eat. Cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, garlic, and fish. Sign me up. That actually does sound like a Poke Bowl, so it does sound kind of good, actually. Like, that's what they were whining about. God, we don't want this manna that, once again, you are miraculously giving us from heaven. Think about that. They would wake up, walk out of their tents, and they would be bread on the ground, these wafers, every morning, except for one day of the week. Crazy. And yet, rather than saying, this is a gift from God, quite literally, a gift from him, bread appearing on the ground like dew in the morning. No, God, we want fish and cucumbers. <laughs> Crazy. Verse six says, but now our strength is dried up and there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. Hey, he's onion. I want onions. This manna sucks. What does God do? He gives them meat, gives them quail, tons of quail, so much quail. Yeah, like, yeah, you want meat? Here, I'll give you 
tons of meat. That's quail. Ton of food to eat. Oh man, now you got your meat. You got your bread. It's like, that sounds like a meal to me. No veggies. Yeah, <laughs> sign me up for that. I'm trying to eat healthy, so I know I, I got to eat the veggies. Um, I actually ordered a salad yesterday from BJ's as my main dish. It's like, whew, it had some meat in it though. Um, <laughs> so that was good. But it's like, man, they got meat now. They got bread. I know like everyone's anti-bread now, but it's like, that sounds good. But what do they say? Numbers 14, a couple chapters later, they say, ah, we don't like this. Let us pick a leader and go back to Egypt. We don't like this. Complaining. They're whining against God. This miraculous bread is coming from heaven, a gift from God. Quail. God is giving them meat to eat. He set them free from slavery. Think about that. Indentured servitude. They're being whipped, forced labor. They were set free from that. And they are complaining over their food that, once again, they are not working for. They're not going out and catching the quail. It's being given to them. Talk about a thief of gratitude complaining. When we don't recognize God's good gifts to us, we laugh at them for being upset for their meals. How often do we complain about our food? all the time. How often do we complain about things? If we're like, man, if we were just to recount all the good things, which recount is like the idea of literally counting over and over again, all that God's given us. Man, if you're someone who thinks that God doesn't care for you, spend some time thinking about God, all that God has given to you. I know when you're in trouble with your parents, you're also tempted to think that like, oh, my parents hate me. Like, say you get in trouble, you get like disciplined. If you got like spanked as a kid, you're like, oh, my parents hate me. Like, I should run away. Like every, every kid like for one time thinks like, I need to run away. And then you're like, get over it. And you're like, okay, that, that would actually be really dumb. Um, but maybe you're tempted to think that like your parents don't care for you. Or you. You were tempted to think about that as a kid. But if you just thought about all that your parents did for you, you would say, wow, my parents actually do care for me a lot. Think about all that your parents do for you. I mean, number one, uh, they, they birthed you. Like, they are, don't think too much about that. But like, they are like the reason that you are here right now, partially. I know God's the one who's like sovereign over it. But like, if it wasn't for them, like, you wouldn't be here. That's, that's pretty crazy. I mean, think about this. They kept you alive by giving you food. Like, you could have been a baby, given born, and they're just like, all right, figure it out, kid. <laughs> Good luck out there. It's like, no, they gave you food. Guess what? They changed your poopy diapers. <laughs> Is he allowed to say poopy during a sermon? Like, like think about that. that they did, you think your parents don't care for you? Yeah, would you... Who wants to sign up for the two-year-olds and sign up? Uh, maybe some of you guys would do that, but who's changing the poopy? It's like, oh, let's have like the adult do it. Like, I don't want to. They did that for you. They care for you. How about this? When you were crying, you got hurt as a kid. Who did you run to? Your parents. Some of you guys, like last week when you were crying, you ran to your parents. They were there for you because they care for you. How about driving you around to school, church, sports, all those things. I mean, let alone just the plain gifts that they give, give for you. Birthday, Christmas, other times during the year. It's like, 
If I was to say, man, do your parents care for you? I mean, maybe you'd be like, yeah, sometimes. If you really thought about it, it's like, yeah, my parents really do care for me. Oh, well, their parents care for them more. That's not what we're talking about. They care for you. They've done so much for you. Now, if we think about, does God care for us? I mean, sometimes. Think about all of God's good gifts to you. I mean, life. Let's start right there. Breathing. Your heart beating. Are you in charge of, like, starting and stopping your heart? Like, I want everyone to really focus on make sure that their heart is beating right now. Like, focus. Make sure it's still beating. Like, work, work, work to make sure you're, you're beating. Like, it, it's beating. It's going. Yeah, we're, we're working on that? How about this? Try to stop breathing. I remember learning in science class, it's one of those things that, like, you just, like, mentally can't, like, do. It's, like, force yourself to, like, stop breathing. That was a long time ago, so, like, don't, like, fact check me now. And be like, oh, it's like, but still, like, are you the one? Are you cognizant and thinking every, every single time you take a breath? Like, okay, stay alive, Nathan. All right. Okay, I'm breathing. How about this? Make sure your organs are working the way that they should be working. Yeah, your kidneys and your liver... Like, make sure it's all doing the stuff, your stomach, like, make sure it's all working. Like, you don't even think about that. It's just like, I mean, it just happens. Like, <laughs> I don't go to sleep thinking like, oh man, I really hope my liver's working tonight. Like, it's only when something goes wrong that we start really thinking about it because what? It's a good gift for God, by God to us. What about food and water? Another thing that here in Orange County, we take for granted Running water, fresh water to drink. I mean, I know it's so like classic, like, oh, there's like kids in Africa, they don't have dr- running water. It's like, oh yeah, I know. Like, what do you want me to do? Like not drink the, it's like, but there are places where that's not a given for them. Like there are places where kids do wake up and they wonder, am I going to eat today? I mean, you don't ask that question. You ask the question, what am I going to eat today? And man, I hope I like it. They ask Am I going to get a meal today? That's one of God's good gifts to you. Food, water. I mean, the classic thing, since we're talking about food, is like, and we're talking about the goodness of God, when you pray, God is great, God is good, and we thank him for our food. It's like, do we thank him for our food? Do we thank God for the breath, for sustaining our lives for another day? Food and water? How about this, your house? Air conditioning. My AC at my apartment broke for like a couple weeks and it was like, man, AC is such a blessing. <laughs> Air conditioning is a good thing. Not having AC. I mean, tons of the world does not have functioning AC. Fresh air. There's countries where the, the air quality is awful and it's hurting them because of it. Plumbing. <laughs> Talk about something we take for granted. A working toilet. You don't have to go out and dig a hole and then bury it. Like, it's like, okay, yeah, maybe I should be more thankful for like the plumbing that takes place. Your refrigerator, your microwave, your comfy mattress, like all these things. We even think about it. I know I don't think about it as often as I should. Like, when's the last time I, I said, God, thank you for the mattress that I got to, that I get to sleep on. 
No, usually we say, oh man, my mattress was tough last night. That was a rough night of sleep. <laughs> what about the people that sleep on the floor? Like, can we be more grateful for those things? I mean, we could go on and on. A solid church that teaches the Bible. Great small group leaders that you have that are investing in you, that care about you. The fun activity is we're going to go bowling in a little bit. I guess in a week. A week in a little bit. Your friends that you have. How about this? The ability to learn. Reading and writing. Oh, everyone, everyone knows how to read and write. They don't. Especially like in past history, that was not a guarantee. It was like very uncommon back in early history to be able to read, write, talk, communicate. I mean, I've got a sister with special needs who cannot communicate with her words. Cannot. Do we take that for granted? People with special needs that aren't able to do things that we just say, oh yeah, of course. We're thankful for our abilities. Technology, computers, phones, cars, we thankful for that? Would you rather ride horseback to church and home every like? It's like, oh yeah, that'd actually be really cool. Would it? Maybe if, like the first time. <laughs> Hobbies, sports that you play, music, video games. How about this one? Last one I wrote down. I mean, there's so much more. You're gonna in small groups try to list off a bunch of things. And I try to think of like maybe some more obscure things that we don't think about so often, but what about trials, hard times? Oh, God's not good to me right now because I'm in a tough situation. Hopefully this series has challenged you to think about how even a trial and a difficulty in your life is a good gift from God to you. Hopefully that doesn't sound as backwards as it did when we first started the series, that the purpose of Difficulties and trials is to produce steadfastness, which is for our good, increasing godliness, growing us more in his image. I mean, you can ask any person who's gone through a severe trial, who's gone through hard difficulty, a strong Christian who's done that. I mean, there's a couple that come to mind right now that right now they're going through a very difficult time of life. Some people on their deathbed. I mean, there was a lady I talked to um, out on the patio a couple weeks ago who um, has something where she's not able to talk anymore. And so she was riding out on this, um, almost like a, not like an iPad thing, but where she was able to communicate through writing. And I was like, oh, like last time I saw her, she was able to talk and everything. I was like, what was, going, like, what was happening? I was like, I'm so sorry that, like, what was happening? You're not able to speak anymore. And she kept writing over and over again, like, I wouldn't change it. Like, God is so good to me. Like, this brought me closer to him. I'm thankful for him. He's good. Even in that, can we be more thankful and grateful for God's good gifts to us and not say, God doesn't care about me? I mean, he cares about you a lot. He's good. One of the gifts is highlighted. We talk really about a lot of material things right then, but in verse 18, it talks about, I mean, the spiritual gift in James 1.18. Of his own will, he brought us forth, gave us life, spiritual life, by the word of truth, which is the gospel message. What's the gospel message about? It's about Jesus, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures, that we can be set apart for him. He gave birth to us through his son on the cross. We can have life, spiritual life, because of Christ. If you're tempted to think that God does not care about you, ah, he's far off, doesn't care about us. First, recount God's good gifts to you. But then second, let's 
zoom in on one of his good gifts, the greatest gift. When you're tempted to think God doesn't care about you, point number two, realize the cost of salvation. Realize that. Being made right with God, what did that cost? You know what it cost? John 3.16. can say it from memory. For God so loved the world that what? He gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. What was the cost of salvation? What did we just read? He gave his only son. You think God doesn't care about you? You know he gave his son on the cross for you? We read John 3.16 and we say, oh yeah, yeah, Jesus loves me, yeah. This I know, the Bible tells me so. God cares for me, yeah. He, he, he sent Jesus for me. Think about how significant that is. I know it's not, it's like physical son, but it made me think of like ties to Abraham. How God called Abraham to sacrifice and to kill his own son Isaac. Remember Abraham wasn't able to give uh, to, to have a child. And finally, he was able to have a child. And then God said, I want you to kill that child. What? Yeah, I want to test to see, are you more allegiant to me or, or not? Think about how hard that would have been for Abraham. I know you don't have a kid. I know the leaders of kids in the room are probably, man, think about how difficult that would be. Abraham was willing, but he didn't. He was willing to sacrifice his own son, Isaac, to God. Thankfully, God said, hey, don't do it. Well, guess what? God killed his own son, Jesus, for you. Yes, I know he was killed by the Romans, but God could have stopped that. God could have prevented that from happening, but he didn't so that you could have a way to be saved. You could have a way to be made right with God. Oh, God doesn't care about me. The second person of the Godhead died on the cross. Think about that. God died. What? God died? Why? For you. To make a way for you to be saved. Do you really understand what it means that Jesus died for you? Do you really understand how big of a gift that is? Greatest gift. Think about it. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. What do we deserve? Death, not just physical death, hell. Eternal separation from God. For, forever torment, forever suffering because of our sins. We talked about it last week. Our own sin is a result of our sinful desires. That's what we deserve, but Romans 6.23 says, the free gift of God, we've been talking about gifts this whole time, free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You deserve death, you deserve separation from God, but God offers the free gift of salvation. There's nothing you can do to earn your favor but trusting in Jesus, the death of his son on the cross. Do we understand how big that is? Let me illustrate it this way. 
It's often been illustrated like this. It's like if, say, you were walking across the street, across the highway, saying, hey, and, one, and your leader's there saying, don't, don't go across the highway, there's a car coming. Don't go across the highway, there's a car coming. You say, ah, oh, forget you. Ah, oh, forget you, I don't care. The leader tries pulling you away, saying, no, there's a car coming, watch out. And they're pulling you away and you say, stop, get away from me. And you're saying, I'm going across the street. I'm going across the street, get out of here. And the person says, no, don't do it. And then right as that car is about to hit you, they push you out of the way. They take the hit from the car. They took that hit in your place. That's what Jesus did on the cross for you. The wrath of God poured onto his son what you deserve, and you kept keep pushing him off. Ah, oh, I don't want it. I'd rather just suffer the consequences of my sin on my own. That's what you're saying when you neglect, neglect the gift of salvation, saying, I don't want it. Jesus, ah, oh, no. I'd rather get hit by the car myself. I want you to turn your Bibles to Isaiah 53. This is such a powerful chapter in the Old Testament. It talks about the Savior. Looks forward to Christ. It's going to be the payment for our sins. I think this will help us really, as I've been saying over and over again, understand what it means that Jesus died for us. You guys there? Isaiah 53. Look at verse 2. It says, For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. It's like, hey, Jesus didn't stand out. He wasn't the tallest. He wasn't the best looking. He wasn't super muscular. Verse three, he was despised, hated, rejected, forsaken by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. We didn't care, didn't care about him. Verse four, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. And didn't care about him. We're doing our own thing. Ignored him. Verse five, but he was pierced on the cross for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, for our sins. Upon him was the chastisement, the punishment that brought us peace, peace with God. And with his wounds, we are healed. Be made right through what he did. Did we say, hey, yes, God, I want that? No, verse six, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. So turning to our own thing, doing our own thing. And the Lord laid on him, Christ, the iniquity of us all, the, the sins, put it on Christ. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a lamb that was killed, like a sacrificial lamb in the Old Testament that was slaughtered. He died for us. He opened not his mouth. 
By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made him a grave with the wicked. Think about it. They died on the cross with two criminals and with a rich man in his death. That's where he was buried in the tomb. Although he had done no violence, there was no deceit in his mouth. He didn't do anything wrong. Verse 10, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Crush Christ. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Think about the punishment that Christ endured for you. That it was the will of God the Father to crush his son Christ so that we could be made right with him so that we had a way to be saved man if we think God is uncaring and he did that for us I don't know what else to say if you're not right with God you're pushing that off Man, I can't see how you can. That someone would love you so much and you would say, I don't care. Like if that person jumped in front of the car for you and you look at them and say, whatever. How can we do that? If you're a Christian and you're tempted to believe and through the difficulties of life, to say, hey, God doesn't really care for me. Will you remember not only God's good gifts, but remember his greatest gift? Think about the cost of his son on the cross for you. We won't turn to it, but if you're a believer, and maybe you're, as I said, don't think God really cares for you. Revelation 2, 3 through 5 says, remember the love you had at first. If you're a someone who's been a Christian for a period of time, remember the love you had the moment you became right with God, how much you appreciated what he did on the cross for you. Go back to that. Think about that. Don't abandon your first love. So final thing here in James 1, 16 through 18 that we should remind ourselves when we're tempted to think God doesn't care. It's in the middle of verse 17. 17 says, every good gift... Every perfect gift is from above. We talked about the material possessions in verse 18 talked about us being right with God, spiritual life. But it says all those things, where do they come from? Come from the Father of lights. It's the idea of the Father who created the lights. Which lights? These lights? Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, technically, it's a gift from him, but the, the, the heavenly lights, sun, moon, and the stars, the made, one who made all those things. He's the one who gives us the good gifts. And there's an interesting note added right in here, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Saying, hey, just like the, the sun shifts and changes, like you know how it's like darker outside like now than it was like a couple months ago? It's like, man, some days it gets dark earlier and then all of a sudden now it's getting dark later or it's like sunny and then it's cloudy. It's like, it's always shifting and changing. Well, guess what? God doesn't shift or change, doesn't redecide. On, on things that he has decided. He doesn't change. When you're tempted to think God doesn't care for you, point number three, remember God doesn't change. 
God doesn't change. Remember when I was prepping this, it was like, why is that, why is that comforting to us? <laughs> like, if you think God doesn't care about you, why does it matter that God doesn't change? Like, is that like supposed to be really comforting if you're going through like a difficult time that like, oh, God doesn't change. Like, that makes me feel a lot better about my situation. Why, why should that be a comfort to me? Well, first, it should be a comfort because he doesn't go back on the gifts that he's given. He doesn't go back on that. Numbers 23:19 says, God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. We talked about that verse and we went in depth in the whole sermon in the, our fact check series that God doesn't say one thing and then reverse, re, reverse action. Oh yeah, I take it back. I said this, no, not anymore. He doesn't lie. I know people lie all the time, say one thing, it's like, and do another. God doesn't. It says, has he, not, has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? God doesn't go back on his gifts. He keeps his promises. If he makes a promise, it's kept. Another reason why it should be a comfort is God doesn't change based on, based on feelings. Like I know people change all the time based on feelings. Like, oh, how do I feel today? I'm going to act one way. And then, oh, I mean, I'm feeling not good today, so I'm going to act all upset. And tomorrow I'm feeling good, so I'm going like, to be really nice and kind. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't change based off of emotions. He doesn't make emotional decisions. It's like if I'm like, hey, I'm going to give everyone in this room a brand new car. Everyone. Yeah, again, a brand new car. And like, I wasn't lying. I was telling you, you're giving me a car. Then tomorrow you come in, Cam, okay, I'm ready for my car. Ah, I changed my mind. Never, like, nah, I'm good. I changed my mind, not anymore. You wouldn't like that. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> like, I want my car. Um, you wouldn't appreciate that. God doesn't change, oh, I'm feeling one way this way. Oh, I'm feeling this way the next day. Uh, different. No. He's not fickle. How about this? This should be a great comfort when it comes to God doesn't change. Was God doesn't change his mind when it comes to salvation. He doesn't change his mind. If someone repents of their sins and put their trust in Christ, guess what? God's never going to be like, actually, well, you actually now also have to do these things now. No, he doesn't. He set the expectation. He set the standard. It's done. It's sealed. That takes the pressure off of us. We often think we need to achieve this certain standard in terms of our actions to stay saved. That's so wrong. That's not how it works at all. Our salvation isn't dependent upon us keeping up the works. It's solely dependent upon Jesus Christ. We often think that his favor towards us is dependent upon my performance. That, oh man, I sinned today, so, I mean, God is going to think worse of me than tomorrow when I have a good day. Then he's really pleased with me. Maybe you've even had those thoughts before. I know I have, where I, I sin. And I'm like, man, God, God must really hate me right now. And then the next couple days, I'm like doing really good. I'm like, yeah, must, God must be really extra happy with me. And then I sin, it's like, God must hate me now again. It's like, yes, God is pleased with obedience rather than disobedience, but it doesn't go from this like, oh yeah, he loves us and we're saved. So then the next day you sinned and now he doesn't love you and you're not saved. It's like, that's not how he works. God doesn't change. Repent, put your trust in Christ. 
done, right with God. It doesn't change. One passage that talks about it is Romans eleven six. It says, but if it, talking about salvation, is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Grace is a gift from God. It says, unmerited favor, undeserved, something we, we can't earn because we don't deserve it. We can't earn it. It's a gift. You don't earn your gifts at, like, on your birthday by, like, were you really good that year? It's like, no, it's your birthday. You just get gifts because it's your birthday. You didn't really do anything outside of, like, survive another year, but, like, <laughs> I mean, well done. Like, <laughs> no, it was just freely given to you. So, too, our salvation, it's not works-related. I'm not extra saved this day because I obeyed more and not as much saved tomorrow because I did something wrong. God doesn't change. That should be a really big comfort to us, especially if you're a Christian and you sin. Know that, hey, repent of that sin, but God isn't stiff-arming you because of that. That should motivate us rather because God doesn't change. And it's the term often used that God is uh, faithful to us. That's uh, often terms used faithfulness or uh, maybe a more lofty term is called immutability. God doesn't change one day to the next, but he's faithful to us. He keeps his promises. That should challenge us to be faithful as well, to be faithful to him, to, to say, man, he is so good and so kind to me. Man, I should be diligent to do what he calls me to do. Should prove how much he cares for us. We often question God's goodness to us, but can we evaluate how good we are to him? Kind of flip it on its head. Can we not only be good and kind towards him, but also towards other people? Galatians 6.10, the last verse, it says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So, hey, God is good. I even challenge you to listen to the song I recommended on the back. It says it over and over again. God is so good. God is, like, it's like the whole theme of that song, but super good. It talks about, yeah, he's lofty and far off, but yet he still cares about us. Because goodness of God is not just like his moral excellence, but it's, it's more so care. And I hope that's how you've kind of seen me talk about it tonight is it's his care for us. But because he's good and he cares for us, Galatians 6.10, we should do good or care for other people. Can we, God is good, can we reflect that goodness by caring not only about him, but also those around us? Can you care more about those sitting next to you? Can you care more about your parents? Can you care more about your small group leaders? Can you care more about your friends at school and be good to them? Can we put that into practice? I read a story this week where someone called tech support because uh, they needed help with their computer. They were frustrated at their computer. They said, there's something wrong with my com computer. Like, my computer is no good. It's broken. It's not turning on. Um, person says, okay, like, have you tried, like, plugging it in? Like, you're making sure it's plugged in? Um, 
and they were like, we're checking the things and it was all plugged in. And the person, the tech support person was thinking they needed like a new power supply or something, but the person was frustrated, like, this computer's no good, like something wrong with it. It's, it's not good, not, not right. The person's still trying to help him figure out what the problem is. And then in the background, the person hears someone else say, hey, I wonder how long the power outage is going to be. person like put on hold and was laughing a little bit. It's like person calling tech support thought the computer was no good, something wrong with it. When really it was <laughs> person's perspective on that thing that was really wrong, nothing actually wrong with the computer. Similarly, we can look at God and say he, he's not caring. He's no good, not good at all. But really nothing wrong with God. He's perfect. He's morally good and he's caring. What really needs to change is our perspective, how we look at God, how we think about him, how we look at him in light of his goodness towards us, his good gifts he gives, the greatest gift of salvation and that he never changes. Can that propel us in the future to say, man, I need to think more often about how good God is to me in everyday life. I know it's not Thanksgiving time, but I mean, over and over again, I just kept thinking, man, God's goodness to us should just exude Thanksgiving. Thank you, God, for everything. Let's pray right now and give thanks to him right now for his goodness towards us. God, thank you for being good. Thank you for caring for us, not being so lofty and transcendent that you're unrelated and uncaring and apathetic towards us. But you would even think of someone so small as each one of us, a mere part of your creation, and that you would be so good to us by giving us countless things. God, we thank you for everything that you have given to us, that all that we have is a gift from you. God, thank you also for the gift of your son. He died on the cross in our place and made a way for us not to suffer the punishment for our sins. Help us to be more grateful and more thankful towards you as a result of your word that we looked at this evening. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.